yeah, as Vicky's already mentioned, my, uh, my eldest daughter took me to London to see Les Mis. How amazing was that? I've been wanting to see Les Mis for years, um, and she took me there. We had a great time, didn't we, darling? We had a couple of days down in London. She drove, so she's learning to drive. I've mentioned this before. I've been teaching her since October, and she's making excellent progress. And, and we took her, me and her, drove through central London in rush hour. Well, she drove through central London in rush hour. Literally, there's cars. Has anyone driven in central London in rush hour? It is like, it is an experience. It really is. The worst thing about it is the motorbikes. Anyone experienced the motorbikes in central London? They literally, they're like a swarm of bees around your car, and then you'll get them flying either side, and I'm saying to her, just keep straight as an arrow. Just stay bang going forward. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Just keep going. Anyway, she did amazing. She did brilliant. And, uh, and we're just kind of preparing her ready for a driving lesson. She's doing fantastically well with that. Um, Les Mis, anyone seen it? I can recommend it. I can highly recommend it. I won't give too much away on it. Um, other than this, a few little facts about Lame is it, um, it, I think it showcased about 25 to 30 years ago as a theatre production. The book was written in the late 1800s, um, and it's about the, in the time of the French Revolution. It's set in France, and the original, and the original production of it, basically all the critics said, no one's going to want to see this. No one's going to want to see this. This is, this is why you did In fact, does anyone know what the name means? The Miserable. It's kind of, and, and if you've seen it, it's a very dark play. I've been to see a few different theatre productions, and some of them are stunning. There's one called Beautiful, uh, the Caroline King story, and that's really bright. That's a fantastic one if you want an uplifting uh, theatre production. But Les Mis is more dark. But here's the thing all the way through it, there's a message of grace. There's a message of grace all the way through it. And it's a fantastic story. But on the opening night, they, they all said, oh, no, no one's going to want to see this. Anyway, after the opening night, they basically sold 5,000 tickets. It was sold out. It's gone on to be, I think, the most successful theatre show of all time. It's been shown in about 22 different countries. About 80 million people have seen it, something ridiculous like that. So it's really, really well known. It's a really great play. Um, the, point, the reason I'm mentioning it is because of the story about it and what it's about. And again, like I said, I won't give too much away for anyone that goes to see it. But it's about, about a guy called Jean, or Jean, or I don't know how you've pronounced the French word Jean. Spelt Jean, I'm assuming it's... Any French people in? It's pronounced Jean, isn't it? I'm not French. I, only, I, I struggle to speak English, let alone French or German or anything like that. But anyway, it's about this guy called Jean. Am I getting it right? Jean? Okay. And uh, he's... He's been in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. Anyone think that's a, that's a pretty bad start in life, isn't it? 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. And all the way through it, he's called a number. His name is gone. He's literally just a number. And eventually the guy's released. And I, I won't tell you what happens to him, but something does happen to him. That really, you're just watching it. And you ever been in that situation where you're watching a film or you're watching a play and, and the character, the protagonist does something, the main character, and you're like, you're going, no, don't do that. What are you doing? Don't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And he goes and does this. And you're thinking, oh, man, that's just like the worst thing you can do. In fact, anyone do that when you read the Bible? 
Come on, you can't, I can't be the only person. You're reading about a character and the Israelites, I mean, they're a great example of it. You read about this nation that have this grace and these amazing opportunities poured out on them, right? God does these incredible things for them and you're thinking, brilliant, you just got to do this now and they then go and do the exact opposite of what you think they should be doing. And you're there and you're reading it and you're thinking, why are you doing that? What are you doing? You're thinking, how can you do that? That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Anyone ever reflected and then at a moment where you do something like that yourself and then you go, ah, hold on, this is me, isn't it? Well, the guy in the, in the play does something like that and he, he has this breakthrough moment, this, this point where it just transforms his life. It changes him. And that's one of the things I want to talk about this morning is breakthrough moments. In fact, it's been mentioned already. It was mentioned, Vicky got up and mentioned it uh, in the middle of the mu- music, in the midst of the music. I think Rachel was talking about it, although my mind was on my sermon and what I was going to be saying in a few moments. But it's already been talked about this morning. And what I want to get to is this, how do you have your breakthrough moments? Because many of us want a breakthrough moment, don't we? We want to have that breakthrough moment. We want to have that, that point in our lives where it changes, where the situation that's been going on for so long suddenly improves and gets better. Ideally, what we all want is we want literally the breakthrough where it changes in, an, in a blink of an eye, where it changes in an instant, where suddenly that difficult situation that we've been going through, that pain, that distress, that or Listen, I don't want to just want to talk about the pain and distress because sometimes it's something that you want sometimes it's something that you desire sometimes it's a deep deep call and a deep deep desire that's been in your life for so so long and you've wanted it and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and it's not happened and you're wanting that breakthrough moment that's going to bring that thing into your life it's going to cause it to happen and it can come from, from two areas, as I've already mentioned, it can come from a painful situation that's really, really difficult, or it could be the opposite, it could be a really a situation that you want. You're not necessarily in pain, but there's something that you desperately want, you're desperately waiting for, you, you, it's your lifelong dream if, you, if it were. Like wanting Liverpool to win the league again. 20 years, 20 odd years I think it is. Waiting and waiting, and if I could go and give them the breakthrough, I would. But hey, listen, someone send them the tape if you're a Liverpool fan. It might help them this morning. But it's an incredible story of grace. And my breakthrough moment, I've had so many breakthrough moments, if I'm honest, in my life. And, and some of them, if I'm honest, have been out of pain, a painful situation that I've, I've wanted dealt with. When I was younger, when I was in my early 20s, I, I, I was in some painful situations and I, I had a breakthrough moment and a major breakthrough moment for me came in becoming a Christian. If you're not a Christian in this place, if you're not a believer in this place, the breakthrough moment for me came, I didn't grow up as a Christian. And so my experience, my understanding of church, my expectation of church was kind of hymn number 246 and sit down, stand up, hard pews, some guy that spoke in some funny voice whenever he got up to, to, to speak and he had some funny clothes on that, that no one else wore except when they were in this, on this pulpit. And so church was the last thing on my agenda for what could change my life and transform it, but it did. 
It absolutely transformed it because what I realized when I had my major breakthrough moments was this, that actually it's not about church. It's already been mentioned, the ecclesia, and basically that is what they're talking about there. If, it's, if you've not heard that word before, they're talking about a word. Anyone know the Bible wasn't written in English because it was written, well, the second part 2,000 years ago in Greece and around that area in Greek in fact not just in Greece but all around that area but the major language was Greek and it was written in Greek the second part and the older part the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and one other language as well that I won't go into so the Bible wasn't written in English but the word for church or the word that was translated into church, the Greek word is ekklesia, and it's actually two words, like butterfly. It's butter and fly, although it's not a flying piece of butter, as we know. But ekklesia is two words, and it means ek is the called out. Uh, it's the called out ones, essentially. An assembly, a group of people, the called out, called out with a purpose. Called out into something, from where they were, into something new. Into something with a purpose, into a community of believers. And, and the, the issue today is that most people on the streets, I would imagine if you said the word church to them, they start thinking of buildings, they don't speak, think of a group of people. They think of buildings and, and temples and, and stained glass windows and things like that. And that's why, I, for me, the church, I'm desperate to do church in anything other than a church building. Because it ain't a church. But I digress slightly. But that was the major breakthrough for me was that church isn't a building. It's actually a place where you go to have and to find out about and discover a relationship with God and to know him and who he truly is, to meet with other people who hopefully know him well, who can help you along the journey. And, and my breakthrough moment was really was in that relationship with God, which in large part came through the church. It couldn't have come without the church, to be honest. And I'd been struggling and, and that was really what brought me to that. But I had another breakthrough moment a few years later. And it was a breakthrough moment where I, I'd been such a gifted person. And I'd, I'd laid that down. I was incredibly talented as a kid in, in terms of, from an academic point of view. I, I was always finishing top of my year in maths and stuff like that. And I had just basically smashed it up against the wall. I'd, I'd just thrown it all away. I'd wrecked it all. And... and, and I, I became a Christian and, and I was quite happy about that. Well, not happy about it, but I was quite accepting. And suddenly my life meant more than just education. It meant more than just a career. It meant more than any of those things. Suddenly my life had a different meaning. I wasn't interested in so much of those earthly things. I was more interested in this amazing relationship with God that I'd found. This, 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 this relationship with my creator who wasn't really a person, but I'd found the most intimate, the deepest, the most powerful relationship I had ever had in my life. It went to the core. And listen, my relationship with my wife and my children is, is, is the most precious, most powerful earthly relationship I have. But the relationship with God, it, it, it goes deeper than any relationship with any other person ever possibly could. It goes to the core. Anyone know what I'm on about here? 
Yeah? Anyone is that could put your hand up if you know what I'm on about. I'm on, just because, listen, I, I'm not trying to whip anything up. I'm not necessarily trying to get everyone to cheer and woo, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But listen, it is good to get some energy going in the building. If you think that, if that's the case, jump in. Fatmon talked about it a few weeks ago. I talked about it a few years ago when we pushed this for quite a while. You know, great artists, great footballers, great basketball players, you name it, they work on feedback. They're constantly working on the feedback they get. And essentially, one of the things I talked about a few years ago was this. If you want a great message, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. If you hear something that, that really kind of resonates, give it some feedback. If you hear something that you think, hey, that's wrong, jump up and say, I'm glad, I'm happy for anyone to do that. I don't mind a few hecklers. That's not a problem. Come on. <laughs> but I hit a threshold. I hit a threshold a second time, but this wasn't out of pain. This was out of really a, a, a desire, a desire to find my calling. Up until this point, I think I must have been about 23, and I'd literally not done, stuck at anything for more than a year. I couldn't tell you what I wanted to do with my life, and, and I really wanted to know, but I'd kind of laid it aside, and, and basically God told me, and he showed me, he showed me what it was I needed to do with my life. He showed me I was a teacher, and I needed to go into teaching, I needed to go back to university and go and get a degree, and, and I went there, went there in a lot of fear, a fear of failure, fear that I was going to do what I'd done up until, with everything up until that point in my life, and, and fail again, and not stick at it, and start really well, but not finish it off. Hey, guess what? God helped me. He was with me all the way through and I finished top of my year at university. I came out with a first class honours degree and, and, and I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that to say that God, that was, that was the, the fear I went into was that I wouldn't even last the year, let alone get to the end of it. That I'd start really well and I wouldn't get to the end of it. But God told me how to do it. He was with me all the way through. And it changed. It was different to anything else I'd ever done up until that point. And I'd reached a point. I'd reached a point where something had to change. Anyone flown? Anyone been in an aeroplane? Anyone enjoy flying and love flying? I, I kind of love it and I hate it at the same time. I, I'm going to share something here, right? Because I, I don't believe in phobias. I don't believe any of us should have phobias, Okay. But I do believe we should say it as it is, just not worse than it is. So I, I, I get, when I'm in the airport and I get to the airport and, and we kind of, you know, from that point on, I start to get nervous about flying. I'll be honest with you. Sat in a tube that's going to be like thousands of feet up in the air, it scares me. I'm going to be completely honest with you. It scares me. To the point I can be sat on the, on the chair, like gripping the seat, literally gripping the seat. But I overcome it. I don't, I don't let that get to me because I know how to deal with that. I've learned how to deal with, with fears. and So I don't let it get a grip of me. But when you take off, when the plane takes off, anyone hate that bit when the engines start to get louder and louder and you're thinking, oh, no. And then suddenly it shoots off down the runway and you're back in your seat and it's getting faster and faster. And it's shaking. It's shaking. This thing's shaking. The last, in fact, was it the last flight? No, the last but one flight, maybe the one before that. Literally, we're in the aeroplane. I'm flying to Ethiopia. Suddenly I can smell aviation fuel. No word of a lie, I can smell aviation fuel. I'm thinking, do I tell someone? <laughs> I later found out it's quite common, apparently. That's worrying in itself, isn't it? But hey, the point of me saying this is, you know when that plane, 
It's hurtling. Let's use that word. It's hurtling down the runway. And it's rattling and it's shaking, and especially if you're on Ryanair. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's flying along. In fact, you're doing well if you've got a seat if you're on Ryanair. But anyway, that's another story. And you're flying along, on, 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 and there's a point, right? Anyone who knows about flying, there's a point. That plane, right, has to reach a particular speed. If it doesn't reach that speed, there's one or two things going to happen. They're either going to abort the takeoff in time and they're going to slow down and stop or you're going to crash and die. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Let's be honest about it. Let's say it as it is. Because without that correct speed, the plane can't take off. It's got to be going at enough of a speed that the, the wings can create that uplift. Okay? And that will lift the plane. Now, when it hits that speed, anyone know that feeling when it just starts to take off? It feels like there's a kind of runway in the air, doesn't it? Anyone, it feels like that to me. It's almost like suddenly someone's put this path on it and it's, like, it's not like it's flying, it's like it's, it's, it's walking, it's, you know, it's, it's wheeled on something. But the point is that plane has reached threshold. It's reached the point, the point of no going back. At that point, they can't abort. At that point, that plane has got to take off. It has got to go. Otherwise, you crash and burn. It's got to go. There's no turning back at that point. You know, do you know what causes you to wake up in the morning? Anyone know what it is that causes you to wake up in the morning? Your alarm clock. Well done. If your alarm clock ain't working, what is it that causes you to wake up in the morning? Good answer. What, a, what an obvious answer. Yeah, my wife sleep talking, that kind of thing, who knows. But listen, what, what causes you to wake up in the morning is stress. Did you know that? Your body in the morning creates stress hormones. It re- or releases stress hormones. It's already kind of in there. It releases stress hormones. It's actually stress that wakes you up in the morning. It's, it's the way the body's designed. It's meant to do that. Stress It is created there to cause that stress, to cause you to wake up. Without that stress in the morning, you wouldn't get up. You'd stay in your your little pit, enjoying it and loving it. What is it that causes you to eat? Lots of things. If you're living a healthy, balanced lifestyle, then one of the major things, the thing that's meant to cause you to eat is stress. Eventually, the kind of feeling of hunger creates a stress in your body, mild stress, not a bad stress. I know there is such a thing as a bad stress, but it creates enough of a stress that causes, you're like, it's a good time to eat now. I'm ready to eat. It's the right time. I need to go and get some food. And so you then you go and get some food. And and that's when everything's working and it's all working balanced. What is it that causes you to diet? Stress. You get to the point where you hit threshold and you hit that point where you go, my weight has got out of control and I need to do something about this. Now for everyone, that is a different point for everyone. For some of us, it can be a higher point. For some of us, a lower point. But for you, you get to that point where you go, enough is enough. I cannot carry on like this and I have got to change. Something has got to change. It's stress. I I, I meet with people on a regular basis who, who want 
help or counseling or support or some kind of issues it's part of being a pastor it's it's one of the 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 most blessed jobs it's the one of the things I enjoy the most about the job is helping people and the reason being because I've been there I've been through so many of the things that I, I, I help people with sometimes worse sometimes not as bad well here's the ironic thing okay some people who will come and they'll want help and they'll want support but they just want it if it's easy if it's easy, they're, they're up for it. If it's not, they don't. Those people I try and avoid. That sound bad as a pastor. I try and avoid them people. I, I, I make it difficult for them and, and hard for them. And I'll say, oh, no, I, I can't make, to, make it to see you. Or some people, in fact, there's one person recently that said, listen, go away. Come back another time. There's no one in this room, by the way. Go away. It's not time for you. You, you, you don't want it. You, you genuinely don't want it. And if that sounds bad... Go and read the New Testament and see how Jesus responded to some people. Anyone know he turned people away? Anyone know that? He turned people away. Do you realize that? This is God. This is the God of love. He turned people away. So why? Why on earth would God turn people away? Why would I turn people away who were coming asking for help? Let me let you into a secret with, with counseling, with trying to help people, if you're trying to help yourself even. Here's the thing. If you want it, if it's only going to be easy, forget it. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to happen. You, you're never going to move on, okay? Here's the ironic thing about it. If you'll get to that point, and you're prepared to do anything no matter how difficult no matter how much of a struggle it is do you know at that point it becomes easy it's the irony of it when you get to that point where you're like no matter what no matter what the cost no matter what it takes I will do anything I will do anything to sort this situation within obviously when I say anything I mean within the realms of, of honesty and dignity and truth and, and things that are right I'm to, uh, you know that goes without saying I'm talking about those things but I'm on about I'll pay any cost I'll pay any price whatever it takes I will do this to make this thing work do you know at that point it becomes easy at that point it's actually incredibly easy because the hard thing is getting to that point and that's what this message is about. That's the trick. That's the key. That's the goal. It's getting to that point. That point of takeoff speed. That point where you, you, it's getting to that point of takeoff speed. Once the plane reaches that point of takeoff, it, it kind of stops shaking as much, doesn't it? It's almost like it, the plane relaxes. In fact, you know, everyone relaxes in the plane. I relax once the plane starts taking off. It's kind of as it's hurtling down the runway and shaking. And will it make that speed that I'm worried? Jesus turned people away. If you've got Bibles with you, I want to share a story this morning. It's from 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll give you a little bit of background to this story. It's about a guy called Naaman. Captain Naaman, we're going to call him this morning. Captain Naaman. He was, a, he was a, an incredible man, Captain Naaman. Okay? He was incredible because of how amazing he was. He was a hero. In fact, what it, the, it, it, here's some of the things, where have I got? I've got them written down, that are said about Captain Naaman. I've got them written down. Bear with me. That's it. It says this, and, and, and history records this as well. Some of this is from the Bible. Some of this is from history of what is said about Captain Naaman. Great, honorable, victorious, mighty, a man of valor. Anyone fancy having that said about you? Unless you're a woman, obviously you probably don't want to be called a man of valor then. But anyway, a woman of valor maybe. 
great, honourable, victorious, mighty, valious. But he had a problem. Naaman had a problem. And his problem was, was a, 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 a big, big issue to him. For all of his success, for all of his achievements, for all of his greatness, he had a weakness. And this was a significant weakness. Now, hear me, I'm going to draw a parallel with his weakness so you can understand it. It's not a perfect parallel, and I'm going to be careful about the parallel that I draw. But Naaman had leprosy. Now, we don't know if that's what we would class as leprosy, because the word that was used for leprosy covered a variety of skin conditions. But Pretty much all of them were treated in the same way. He was a leper. We all know what that word means. It brings up images in our minds. It is similar in this day and age to AIDS, which we now call HIV. And let me clarify what I mean by that. When AIDS first came out or was first discovered, it was a huge taboo and still is. Let's be honest about it. It still is. It was looked down upon, people were ostracized, you name it. Many of us know that and can remember that. It was a, a, a plague almost, a terrible plague that caused death to anyone that got it. Some, some similarities, they're not exactly the same, but there are similarities. One similarity is this, it wasn't necessarily either of them sinful. Just because you've got it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It's not about what you've done wrong. Once you've got something like this, it's not about that. It's about getting healed. It's about sorting it out. As Christians, we believe that if you're a Christian, you are forgiven for anything. So it's got nothing to do with what you've done wrong in that respect. But it was an issue. Can you imagine, can you, in this day and age, still to this day, if you've got HIV, that's going to hold you back in some areas of your life. And, and let me, some of you may not know this, but if you've got HIV today, you can live pretty much a normal life in terms of your lifespan and everything. The drugs now that they've got are so incredible, you can almost live a normal life. Almost. But I'm not on about lifespan or health or anything like that. I'm on about the taboo. I'm on about how it's going to affect you. I'm on about how you might, not, you might avoid telling anyone about it. You might hide it. And that's not in any judging way at all whatsoever. Naaman had this, this terrible disease in that day and age that was called leprosy. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about, if you go back to the original Hebrew again, because this bit was written in Hebrew, it essentially says about Naaman that, that he was great, but he had leprosy. And it says it, if, if, you, if you were a scholar of Hebrew and you read that in the original Hebrew, it would be said in a pathetic kind of like, you know, this great man. But what's the point? He's got leprosy. That kind of feeling to that, to that sentence. That, that makes sense. Now, there was a young girl, it tells us in verse 4. A little bit of context. This young girl was a captive. Naaman didn't live in Israel. He was in, in another land and they had been raiding and, and bringing people back. And, and this young girl had been brought back and she became a servant for Naaman's wife. <laughs> 
okay? So she's a captive, she's a foreigner, she's a servant, she's young and she's a girl. She's pretty much hitting all of the taboo buttons or all of the kind of, in terms of Captain Naaman, you name it, every button that you could hit to say, don't bother listening to me because I'm nothing, she's hitting every single one. Are you with me? How many of us refuse to take advice from someone who's lower than us? How many of us have our ideas of who we should take advice from and we kind of don't want to take advice from someone who's lower than us, let alone someone who's higher than us? This young girl's significance is easily missed in this story. Most people focus, and we are going to focus in a minute, on on the major part. But listen, this young girl is part of the story. To miss her and her significance is to miss the the major part. And if you like, one of the major, major teachings of this story. This young girl was nothing to Naaman. She was his wife's servant. She was foreign. She was young. She was a girl. None of those things were going to cause Naaman to listen to her. But something caused Naaman to listen to her. Something caused Naaman to listen to this young girl. What was it? What was it that caused Naaman to go, I need to listen to this girl. I need to do what she says. And listen, he listened to her that much. He went and took what she said to his king. Captain Naaman went to the king and told him what she had told him. What was it? Threshold. He was desperate. He was desperate. He'd got to the point, I'll do whatever it takes to get this leprosy healed, to sort this situation out, whatever it takes. Verse 4 says this, it says, So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Verse 5 says, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram, told him. Sorry, let me say that again. I got that slightly wrong. I was trying to read my own text there. Go and visit the, the prophet, the king of Aram, told him. That's Naaman's king. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, verse uh, second part of verse 5 carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver that's a lot of silver that's a lot of money in terms of the cost of it and a lot of weight 150 pounds of gold again that's a lot and 10 sets of clothing that's big that's big me and Sophie when we were down in London We drove past Trump's motorcade. Wow. This guy had shipped over. They were all American vehicles. You know, when you see on the telly, it was all of those. They've come over across the Atlantic. There must have been 50 vehicles of Trump's that he had around him. Literally, this was incredible. You've never seen anything like this. particularly when you think about it this is in the UK he's brought that stuff four five thousand miles by plane by many many planes this was a show of who I am Trump's coming to Britain going look at me look at who I am look at all these vehicles it ain't just about protection 
It's about looking. It's about look at me. I'm Trump. I'm the most powerful man on the planet. And Captain Naaman was doing the same. I'm not going here as a humble servant or as some humble guy. I'm going here with uh, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. I'm going to rock up to the king's house and I'm going to see him and he's going to know who I am. And he does. He turns up at the king's house. Now listen, it wasn't a bad thing what Naaman did. It was culturally right what he did. You would go and you would take gifts. But it was also to let the king know, hey, I'm someone important. I'm not just a no one. I'm not just a nobody. I'm Captain Naaman. Whether you know it or not. And the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman. He turns up with a letter from the king of Aram. He says, I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now listen to this. It's not just Trump that can have a rant and be ridiculous. He ain't the only one. Listen to what the king of Israel does. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Sounds like Trump, doesn't it? But when Elisha heard the man of God and he heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. He sent this message to him. Listen to the contrast. See, the king of Israel had no faith. The king of Israel had no insight. He didn't understand what was going on here. He just reacted in violence, tearing his clothes. Literally, imagine, imagine if I stood up here and I just went, that's ridiculous, and tore my shirt off. I'd look like a lunatic. This is what the king of Israel did. And listen, all he's got is some guy rocking up to him saying, hey, listen, I've got leprosy. I've got a letter from my king. Could you heal me? It's like going to your PE teacher saying, listen, I've got a, I've got a bad knee. Can, can you let me off with PE today? And your PE teacher going, but who am I that I can fix your knee or let you off from doing PE? The king lacked faith. But listen to Elisha. Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay and he sent him this message. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Elisha's response, everything Elisha does in this is incredible. On first reading, it can seem very arrogant on first reading, it can seem like Elisha's giving it all. They say, I'm the man, I'll deal with him, I'll sort him out. No, it's not. It's faith. He knows. Listen to what Elisha does next. So Naaman, in fact, listen to what, what Naaman does next. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. He rocks up to Elisha's house with Trump's motorcade. They're all there. That's what it was in that day and age. His chariots and his horses. And he would have sat in his chariot and sent his servant to knock on Elisha's door. And do you know what Elisha did? Elisha sent his servant to go and speak to him. Elisha sent his servant to go and to speak to him. Listen to this. Elisha sent a messenger out to him. A messenger to Captain Naaman with all of his chariots. Imagine Donald Trump this week, while it is he still here? 
I think he might be. Is he, is he, is he still here? Imagine he rocks up at your door. Imagine that for a minute. In fact, imagine he rocks up at my door. Imagine he hears about Hope Church, as so many people are, and he rocks up and he goes, hey, I've got this issue and, and, and Barry can fix it for me. I'm going to go and see him. The man of God's going to heal me. And his motorcade rocks up to the northwest of England and pulls up outside my door. And I send, would, would, you, would Paul mind me saying this? Paul, would you mind if I sent you out to speak to Donald Trump on my behalf? You up for that? So I send Paul out. I say, hey, Paul, Trump's here. Paul's like, what? He looks out, I go, look out the window. And there's like 50 vehicles with flashing lights, helicopters, the, the CIA, you name it. And I say, Paul, go out and give him a message for me. What, what would you think about that, Paul? Be a bit odd, wouldn't it? He's come to see me and I send Paul out to go and speak to him. Paul, go, just go and give him a message for me. I don't even come out my house. You get in the context? This is what Elisha does to Captain Naaman. He sends his messenger out to him. Elisha says this, Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the River Mersey. <laughs> Clearly doesn't say that. But I say, hey Paul... Go and tell Trump, yeah, I've heard about his issue. We've all heard about it. We all know about it. Go and tell him, go down to the River Mersey and go and wash yourself in it seven times. What do you think the response is going to be? You think he's going to shoot down to the River Mersey? And I know the presidents, most presidents have spiritual advisors. They have pastors of massive churches and they'll go and they'll talk to them. Do you reckon any of them have told them to go down to the River Mersey and go and wash in it seven times? Do you reckon any of them gone and sent their messenger to go and tell the presidents of America to go and wash seven times in the River Mersey? Do you reckon any of them have ever done that? That's what Elisha does here. Literally, put in modern day terms. You getting this? Is this making sense? That's what he tells him to do. Trump became angry and started tearing his clothes that's pretty much what it says isn't it it says but Naaman became angry and well stalked away flipping heck what 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 the river Mersey have you seen the river Mersey it's filthy it comes from Manchester hey did I say anything wrong there it comes from Manchester guys did you not know that Come on, we're having a laugh here. <laughs> and we're creating a bit of tension. Tension's good, you know, honestly. Come on. <laughs> it's been duly noted. Now sit down. <laughs> I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his magic wand, sorry, his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus? Isn't the Thames, no, not the Thames, is there a good river in this, in, in this world? Isn't, isn't, isn't there a better place I can go? And call on the name of his Lord God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana? And the Fapar, better than any of the rivers of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? He was asking the wrong questions. Let me tell you, I know I'm going slightly over time. Have we got a few more minutes? Can I give you a few more minutes, yeah? This is important this morning. 
Anyone want breakthrough this morning in your life? Anyone? Anyone? Desperate for breakthrough? You won't mind a few more minutes then, will you? Whatever it takes, yeah? Food in the oven, dinner's going hot, going cold, going burnt, burnt, probably burnt, in it. Listen, let me give you an invitation. If this has gone past time for you, go. It's probably one of the best messages I could ever give and go over time. I hope the person that's desperate that needs this message the most has got the most important meeting they ever needed to get to and, it, and they've got to leave now for it. Because this is a turning point. This is a turning point. Listen to this. Listen to this. Trump, eat a Trump. <laughs> Naaman's asking the wrong question. He's asking the wrong question. He's moaning and complaining about what Elisha's asked him to do. Listen, Vicky kindly had a go at me before in the meeting and talked about me. And we had Towelgate last week. I got some texts off people telling me about me and towels at the David Lloyd gym and stuff like that. And, and my weaknesses, you, you know, any married men will know this, right? My, maybe it's just my wife, actually. My wife sometimes, and she will ask me to do things that are irrational, Seriously, it's true. She asks me quite often to do irrational things. I'm like, what? We haven't been going out long. She asked me, she asked me not to buy her any chocolates for Valentine's Day. So soft lad here didn't buy her any chocolates for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Come on, I'm going all scouse on you now. Do you know what she was doing? When she asked me to do irrational things, and again, stupid here on occasions, not all the time, thankfully, misses it so often. But she does it with me sometimes as well, so hey-ho. She's testing me. Anyone, anyone know what I'm on about? She's testing me. She's asking me to do the thing that I might not want to do or I might not do, and she's testing me. She's testing me to, just testing out that love. Just testing out, do I love her? What do I think of her? We all do it, don't we? And, and guess what? So many of us, we miss it when we're being tested. Naaman's being tested here. This isn't about the washing in the River Mersey or the River Jordan or any river. This ain't got anything to do with that. This ain't got anything to do with whether Elisha should come out and see him or not. This is a test. This is a test of Naaman. Really? You want it? You really want it? What? So, all right then, I'm going to ask you to do this. Go on, let's see how much you really want it. Let's see if you really want it. Let's see if you'll really do what I ask you to do. Let's see if you really genuinely want this or not. That's what this is all about. And why? Why ask Naaman? Why ask Captain Naaman to do that? Because he's proud. Because he's proud. Everything about what he's done up until this point speaks of pride. He's proud. Even his response is proud. Listen to him moaning and complaining because the man of God, oh, the man of God didn't come out and see me. He made me wait. It says, so Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. In a rage. And it's not the end of God dealing with his pride because guess who fixes it for him? Is it his king? Is it the, the prophet who comes out and goes, oh, I'm sorry, you've walked off in a mood. You've left. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have come out and met you. So he legs it after him. Is that what the story tells us? Not at all. Not for one second. The prophet doesn't go running after him. 
thankfully someone does. But it ain't someone great or mighty. It's his servant. It's his men. His men have to turn around and say to him, wake up. If he'd have asked you to do something like this, wouldn't you have done it? So why aren't you doing what he's asking you to do? Why aren't you going and doing it? His officers, listen to how the Bible puts it, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. Guess what? What he was asking him to do there was incredibly difficult. What the man of God asked him to do was more difficult than anything else he could possibly have asked him to do. He asked Naaman to do the Captain Naaman, the most difficult thing he could have ever, ever asked him to do. Humble himself. Humble himself. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. He finally thanked God because we have this story to teach us. He finally saw sense he went down to the river and he dipped himself seven times as, as the man of God had instructed him. And guess what happened, guys? His skin became healthy. He was cured. He got his miracle. The point today, the point this morning is, listen, what you're going through, either whether it's something you want and you're waiting, 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 or it's something that you don't want and you're struggling, struggling, struggling and the pain is getting so great or the want is getting so great, the desire is getting so great. God is bringing you to the point of threshold and he won't give it you until you get to that point where you will do anything. You will do whatever God says. Whatever he asks you to do, you will do it. And guess what? It will probably be something irrational. It will probably be something that doesn't make sense to you, but it makes perfect sense to God because he knows. He knows it's the thing that you need to do. God could do it anyway. He could do anything for us anyway. This is why he wakes, makes us wait though, folks. He's not waiting. You're not waiting for him. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to hit threshold. He's waiting for the pain to get so great that you'll do anything. He's waiting for the desire to get so great that you'll do anything, whatever it takes. And listen, he won't give you the thing you need until you're at that point. Because if he gives it you too early, it'll be a waste of time. You won't be ready and you won't do it. The pain is there for a reason. Because he's bringing you to that point of change, of transformation that will change your life forever. There's a story in the Bible of a, a paralytic man. And he's got four mates. And they're trying to get him to, because Jesus is going around. He's healing everyone, left, right and centre. They're desperate to get this man healed. And guess what? They can't get there. There's a story of a guy called Zacchaeus. He's only little. And he wants to see Jesus. Guess what? He can't get near him. There's a story of a, of a soldier. And he wants his daughter healed, a centurion. And guess what? He can't get Jesus to go there. Story after story after story. There's a woman and, and she goes and Jesus just sends her away. He says, why should I deal with you? You're not even one of our people. I'm not sent here for you. I'm not going to fix you. But do you know what all of these people did? They didn't give up. They were desperate. They did whatever it took. They kept on going. And story after story after story in the Bible, they all did whatever it takes. 
they were prepared to do anything to get their miracle. Do you want your miracle? Do you want your miracle? Then it's all about getting to yes. The famous book called Getting to Yes. But guess what? That's all about negotiation and getting to yes with others. My message to you this morning is this. It's all about getting to yes with yourself. That you will do whatever it takes. Because your destiny, your miracle, your healing is not in the hands of man. Man doesn't hold it. If you think that, you're lacking faith. You can't see beyond. God holds it. God holds it. But he'll use man to get it to you. Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? Are you prepared to do whatever it takes?